0: I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field.
1: If Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. Rugby <laughs> Rugby Weekly. First pass, four! Four! Drive Magic. Alive, boss,
2: so stand-
1: Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here, and I'm joined as always by my esteemed colleague who you might have seen on RT screens over the weekend, Murray Kinsella of the E Murray, how are you?
0: I'm good, thanks, Gav. I'm a bit bit scatterbrained at the moment we're having some work done in the house, so it took us a while to get set up for this podcast. (laughs) I'm on the bed now, and there's plasterboard behind me, so excuse the view if you're watching on YouTube.
1: He is fully clothed, I should stress, if you're only listening on <laughs> Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Joining us, as always, is Bernard Jackman. And Birch will chat ahead to, or we'll look ahead rather, to some of the URC action coming up this weekend. Look back in the provinces from last weekend as well. Chat about the Irish women, uh, a couple of coaching situations. Loads to talk about, but we do want to start with your very flamboyant and extravagant looking trip to paris <laughs> if people were following you on instagram over the weekend or twitter i think they would have had a lot of envy so how did you get on and tell us about the trip generally why were you going there
2: yeah i escaped my library for 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 two days um I, i'm running on pain au and uh, a croissants at the moment having uh, uh, absolutely smashed them um in, in paris now look at my son um my son, when he was in school, in, in, in school in France, and, and this is a bit of a generalisation, but in Grenoble anyway, the kids in this class were either uh, Olympic Marseille, Olympic Lyon, or, or PSG fans. And um, one of his best buddies was PSG. So when he was five and six, he liked PSG. So we've always kind of kept an eye on them um, since since we left and while we were over there. And then obviously when Messi, when Messi signed this summer, um, it was it was his 13th birthday he, he broken his leg I was like look let's uh let's do something a bit cool so uh, I booked the Champions League I saw they got man City in the Champions League so I said like let's go to Paris for for the Champions League game and uh, yes we flew Tuesday morning uh, Messi had been injured the last three matches so when we when we got off the plane we got I, I follow um PSG on Twitter and I got a notification saying he was fit so that was the first bit of good news and then um yeah I got tickets for the game a couple of weeks ago pretty ridiculously hard to get but got them and then um, yeah, went to went to the club shop Tuesday morning. Uh, got a lot nice, nice nice kit for him. And then uh, the game was just phenomenal. I mean, part of France. Obviously, Irish rugby fans who are a little bit older will will have been there on dark days for Irish rugby. But it's in a it's in an unbelievably nice uh, area, of France. Um, Stade Français, uh, uh, Stade Jean de Boulon is, is recited. Roland Garros is around the corner. I mean, it's. Uh, it's, it's phenomenal and then it's a kind of old school stadium that's been modernized just enough to have the, the creature comforts that you like but also has that raw, um, you know, kind of cathedral passion and uh, it's a great game and Man City could have won 5-1, you, you know, PSG ended up winning 2-0 and we were there for Messi's first goal but the atmosphere and, and for me, like as I said, I, I've been looking, at, like when I go to games now I'm usually in a press box but like surrounded by fans and because Messi hadn't done a huge amount for, whatever, 80 minutes, the fellas behind us were basically saying, Il est nul, nul Messi, whatever, it basically means he, he's crap, right? And Moussa uh, and, and Ben were laughing, the next thing he scores the goal, and they were singing songs, that Messi's the greatest, and it was just, the you know, one action can just change people's perception, and uh, the place went absolutely nuts, I mean, uh, like the PSG Ultras, you know, they, they were in there, we went early into the game, we were in there about an hour, an hour and a bit beforehand, and, they were just in there probably maybe two hours, the gates open, but just going absolutely crazy for the whole, you know, three hours or whatever, an hour beforehand in the match. It was phenomenal atmosphere. I forgot how good games in France are. To be honest, I know rugby's not as good as, 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 as soccer, but the rugby games there, in fairness, can be, can be nuts as well. It was brilliant. It was absolutely amazing.
1: When you're... Uh, up there in the stands looking down at a game even in a different sport is it difficult to switch off the analyst hat like are you looking at players movement and things like that and sort of translating it back to rugby
2: yeah well I was looking to be honest um, so obviously with Man City or sorry with, with PSG with with Messi um, Neymar and, and Ma- 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 Mape they actually don't have a midfield It's um, they basically have defenders and attackers and uh, uh, you know in fairness to Neymar and, and uh, Mappe, they they work back Messi didn't do too much tracking back to be honest but uh Obviously, um, he's come back from injury. Um, yeah, tactically, I think it was, it, it was really interesting and, and, and obviously how is going to keep those three lads in the team and obviously then have to spend so much time defending because you don't really have a midfield. It was, um, it was class. But Messi, Neymar, Mape were the big names, but there's a guy, Marco Verratti. I've never seen anybody as good. Uh, like, he was absolutely unreal. And, and uh, for me, he, if he didn't know, you know what the others have done, and obviously, he's, like, he was the guy on the night that stood out for me as just being a complete class act and a level above even Kevin De Bruyne and you know um, some, some absolute world-class players on the night.
0: Wasn't, wasn't Guardiola saying he's in love with, with Verratti his kind of player, I'd imagine. And it sounds like an unreal experience. What a goal to be there for as well, Birch. But I'm, being a rugby nerd, more interested in your, your next part of your trip over to Racing How did that go?
2: Yeah, look at uh, Mike obviously Mike Prendergast is a good friend of mine. Yeah, uh, we worked together in Grenoble and uh, you know, we, we, we speak a lot and uh, I you know, he told me a lot about their, their facility. I'd seen some of it on, on, on social media and things, but I just wanted to get out there and see see what what they were doing, see what it was like and, and just try and stay up to date with kind of the the trends in the game, you know. And uh, you know, they've got Claremont on Sunday, um and you know, they had a big long unit session or Scrum has been creaking quite a bit, um, and, yeah, they're trying to fix that, cut some injuries, the usual stuff. But, like, uh, the, the big thing is, obviously, it's a phenomenal facility. You know, you know, great restaurant, great gym, great analysts, all that stuff. But it, it, it's just how open and, and friendly they were. And in fairness, I'd heard this from players that Lorenzetti, despite being an absolute millionaire, multimillionaire, and putting a lot of money in and being ruthless at the right times, the big difference between Racing 92 and a lot of clubs in France is, they really try to focus on being a club and um, looking after players properly, and you know, not not trying to move guys on, you know, in a in a poor way if they're if they're out of form, you know, be honouring contracts and um, trying to look after player welfare and things like that. Now, you know, they haven't had the success probably that um, you know that they they should have in terms of you know spend and and doing the right things, but they've been very very close, you know, and. Um, yeah i i talked to the, the coaching staff i mean uh, toto um uh, lauren travers i i would i would have only known him from being a, in a coaching dugout and you know he's very animated on the on the sideline um quite quite a scary guy and uh you know to get the first chance to chat to him absolutely unbelievably uh amicable and and, and friendly and and, and good good natured and yeah they all were it was just it was just great and great to catch up with mike mike's obviously you know done incredibly well um and 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 a hard hard working coach who, who I'd like to hope uh, you know we'll we'll see in Irish in Irish rugby a, a, at some stage but yeah it was just great for my son as well to you know to to, to see these players up close Curtley Beale and Fakaaora and stuff of like that and uh, yeah it was a great day Two, 24 hours but um yeah well uh, well used
1: that's class I, i'm just imagining somebody fast forwarding too far through the intro of this podcast and hearing us say Marco Verratti is better than Kevin De Bruyne and Thinking they're having some oh, sorry, sort of neurological yeah. well, event.
2: I, I'm not an expert, but on, on that 90 minutes, uh, for me, he was. Oh, really no, I
1: just, I, I mean purely because we're speaking about soccer. um Loads of rugby to talk about as well. I'm glad you had that. Uh, really enjoyed that trip, purchase Looked class, even via social media. We we'll start with the Ireland women's team, lads, and it's a bit of a familiar team, unfortunately. Except this was really rock bottom, and I think the scenes at the end of the game with this sort of anguish and the level of upset across the players were just objectively sad. Like there was no other way of or there's no other way of putting it, I don't think. Um we need to avoid having the same conversation as we've had the last couple of weeks, you know what I mean? Because we have spoken about the bigger picture and things like that. But Murray, if I could put all the pressure and uh I don't know. Uh, like where do we go from here? Basically is the question I'm trying to ask you.
0: The review process has started and that needs to be really honest and i think a bit more transparent and open than has been the case in the past or if you were used we obviously don't generally get to see any of it you get a, a kind of synopsis usually through david news for these days um but i think everyone would benefit from really understanding how the rfu view this one whether they're self-critical whether they place the blame on coaching staff and players or or how they see it and Listen, there's probably both aspects to it. The players and the coaches didn't do their job to the maximum of their potential. I think we can all see that. The, the, the team has more talent than they showed in this qualifier. Their lineup wasn't good enough. They had handling errors at key moments. They, I mean, the teams were really consistent through the games. Breakdown issues, sloppy discipline... Um, but the fact that they were trends and the fact that the players didn't handle that pressure and the coach didn't handle that pressure better makes you think back to some of the stuff we have discussed around the pathway in the system and producing players. Um, and for me, it needs to be more than just focusing on the three games, which is generally what these reviews do. You've got to look a bit deeper to think how can Irish rugby produce players who are better capable and better prepared for big, high-pressure 15s matches. Because that's what this is, you know. There's that issue around 7s and 15s as well. And everyone's been discussing a couple of those players kind of getting parachuted in late stage, not much experience. And again, it was something we flagged. Like, I'm kind of glad we did that podcast when we did it because we're not just looking back with hindsight now, which is the, the easiest thing to do. And, and listen, that is an unfair position we have on it all now. There were mistakes made in prior selection and within the game plans, within the individual performances. But for me, it definitely is the, the bigger picture that we've we've discussed there's loads of stuff that's being done really well in women's rugby and i think it's really important that we don't just shit on everything that's happening in women's rugby and the people who are giving up their time the volunteers people in pay positions as well who are doing good work but it can definitely be channeled in a better direction because as you say this is rock bottom it's a, it's a real low and i mean it can't really happen again for irish women's rugby rugby is such a small sport there are so few competitive nations that it's Really, really damning to to miss out on a World Cup in this in this manner,
1: Birch, If this review isn't published, is it worth a shite? No, definitely not. I I, I think the review
2: has become a clutch um, for for the IRFU to uh, I suppose absolve themselves of any responsibility and kick the touch. And you know we we'll hear about something. Like, is their answer to everything? Is all you know? We wait till the review comes out. Um, and let's just compare it to the men's World Cup. You know, which okay, we we were there, um, but we certainly didn't perform at the level that was that was expected, hoped, um, promised, and that's on the back of a lot of, you know, heartache at World Cups, and I I just think you know it was wasn't it wasn't really clear. I mean, we get some sound bites, you know, sports psychologist wasn't good enough, players aren't skillful enough, and we didn't evolve our game plan, uh, fast enough, and that, that that's it. So you know, like, what's re- what. What have we done okay there's a different sports psychologist involved um you know if the players aren't skillful enough what has actually been implemented on a on a countrywide scale or an international level to to change to change that um and what's happened with our young players etc etc and then game plan you know is our game plan cutting edge at the moment i'm not saying it's bad but um i wouldn't say we're at the forefront of of setting where the game is going, um, and that's just my my opinion. I don't think we're behind it either. We're we're just we're just in the middle. But I, I don't. I mean that we don't know what was written, what who said what. um which I don't mind who said what, but what actually was the report? Because I could read a report and take take certain things from it, and Murray, you could read a report and take other things from it, and you, Gav, as well. But we're led. David Nusafour gives us those little bits of, of of what happened, and I mean, if he if he is this performance guru and rugby guru. Why didn't he spot these things during the cycle? You know, it wasn't if Ireland went in the World Cup smashing everybody. That that was a year beforehand. Um, so there was there was obvious worrying signs. And if you know, like, players don't become more unskillful when they land in Japan. Your skill set is your skill set. And you can have a bad day. But over the course of the year or two years or three years, that's your skill set. So if you we weren't skillful enough going into that World Cup, um, you know, why didn't he spot it or, or other people in the organization who are gurus spot this? So like, that's the thing. I mean, I and mean, everyone just swallowed it. Oh, great, great review. Let's move on. You know? Um, and th- that's what i worried about. This, this, this world cup review for, I'm sorry, this, this qualification review, the last world cup review in 2017. Um, I know the people very close to it weren't happy that it wasn't shared. And, and, was it communicated and maybe this time they'll have to because it's just so bad I mean for us on so the qualifying for the World Cup is, is the low point of the low um, but I don't I don't see it being you know it sounds great and it appeases people but historically um, I just think it's been you know uh, window dressing to be honest
0: One thing I'd love to see Gab sorry in terms of looking at possible solutions and this is there's so many aspects to it obviously it's not just a quick fix there's not going to be one switch flicked I would love to see the potential of the domestic game obviously the AAL being the the pinnacle that really harnessed and the attitude towards it being really positive because in my opinion and from people I speak to there's almost a bit of a dismissiveness of the the league from the high performance unit above it with the RFU and, and the Ireland national team and and saying oh it's not a good enough testing ground for our players make it that like don't Don't just sit there and think, it's not good enough to produce the best players. We need them in camp all the time. That's the only place they're going to learn. Give it a chance and give it the resource and give it the love that it it needs to really grow. There's unbelievably passionate people there. There's coaches who want to be upskilled even more and and coach their players even better. Um, And I think you can make it a a breeding ground because that's the way the Premier 15s and the, the French League are going. They're becoming even more competitive year on year. You've seen the Irish players go over there because... In their very own words, they want to be better players, they want to test themselves to a higher degree. Why can't we have that here? Why can't we have the RFU at least facilitating or encouraging clubs to get out there and play English and French clubs at times uh, and really test themselves that way, as well as lifting the the standard of it to a point where they can view it as, as being worthy of producing international players. Um, I'd love to see a, a refreshed attitude around that. And again, it might, it might take a while. It's brilliant to see Ballon Colleague last weekend winning their first game on their debut. That is brilliant for the league. And there's a real excitement about them becoming competitive over the next few years and and it not just being a top four hammering everyone else because I suppose that's what it has been really um for a for kind of a long time now. So that's one aspect of it. There are many others. Um, And you're seeing like numbers pre COVID, we're talking numbers in, as we mentioned, those kind of campaigns like Give It a Try and Sevens programmes even in school are, are getting people playing the game but there's layers beyond that that need work like no under-20s obviously the step from under-18s to rugby into senior rugby is massive and that's a big issue and Rugby Academy Ireland took it upon themselves an independent organisation to create a 20s team that was last year wasn't it and and the RFU few basically said good luck to you we're, we're not going to stand in your way but could they be part of that and could they encourage it a little bit more Obviously, money is part of it, but I don't think it takes a huge spend. Maybe just a freshening of the attitude, and and obviously adding a little bit of resource there as well. But it's for me kind of underneath the the national team there.
1: You'd get the sense as well, Birch, that even say the top four clubs in the women's AIL or those teams that are traditionally in contention for that, like even you just see some of the clubs kind of liking certain tweets and things there seems to be a consensus form now on the ground or at grassroots level domestic level that like this does need to change i like it kind of feels weird that everybody seems to be pulling in the same direction apart from the people who can actually steer things in that direction if you know what i mean
2: yeah and uh, and i think um the problem is that the people who are who are pretty much running it are are kind of in a bubble an internal bubble and um obviously it's 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 uh it's difficult for them because the results have have been poor. But I don't see it all being being connected, and, and um, I do think it's probably it has reached the bottom point. Uh, and I, I just wonder what, like, what's the where is it going to come? I mean, we have focused massively on the sevens game in women's. there Has been a huge amount of money put into that. We obviously haven't seen the the transferability that we were promised, and that these players were going to be able to play on the World Series. You know, um, for nine months of the year, and then playing the six nations. We haven't seen enough of those come true and and it probably you know, it's probably disenfranchised or are unmotivated the um the 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 fifteens players who are playing in the club where they just kind of see this preferential treatment. So that's been a big issue and, and understanding how how you have to basically have everybody feeling good about their own respective game. So, you know, it's I'm not saying the sevens is a bad thing. It's just unfortunately In the eyes of most of the fifteens players and we've seen this you know when when top players have been pulled for sevens during six nations which let's be honest i mean you know Wales aren't in a great shape at the moment of fifteens but they didn't have to qualify for for this world cup because of previous results so we've we've gradually let it decline but just going back to my thing about a review um i mean england england uh did a review after a very poor six nations let's not forget eddie jones got into a world cup final and and the success in, in the in the Six Nations leading up to that. If we had got the World Cup final, Joe Schmidt would have a freedom of the city. You know what I mean? But they don't. High performance isn't about looking back at what what teams did in the in the past. It's actually where are we now? And they published that review. And Eddie Jones is, has now key uh, accountables that he needs to fulfil. He had to change his staff uh, because of feedback from players, etc. But it was very open and transparent. And Eddie Jones, one of the best coaches in the world, didn't throw his toys out of pram. And said, "Oh, I don't want to be have this level of scrutiny." He understands that that's high performance. Even you know, sure, Lancaster and Leinster. I know they win most weeks, but they they review their performance in the same manner that uh, they do whether they win or lose, and and they they're hard on each other, hard on themselves. And at twelve o'clock on a Monday, they have this term called sumo. Shut up, move on. You know, so like that's that's what high performance is about. It's about actually finding out the nitty gritty of what's working. What's not working? Not being afraid to actually say, yeah, we messed up there. Agreeing what the next plan is and then actually implementing that and understanding that regularly you're going to have to look back and go, you know, did that work? Yes, great. Did it not work? Why can we fix it? And I just think that this, like these things happen. The reviews now in the women's game is, is whatever. It's 2017, the last one. So it's four years. You know, the men's ones generally happen after the World Cups. It's not really, um, it's not really good enough just to tread water, tread water, uh, in in supposedly high performance sport, and have the reviews when it's basically too late to um, to perform to perform in the in the key ones that you that we're targeting. Which for us, you know, we want to be part of the Women's World Cup. We want to be competing doing well at at the Men's World Cup. And yes, you know, we just seem to review every every four years, and, and normally it's on the back of of a negative situation when it should be actually regular anyway.
0: Just just to briefly jump back to the sevens thing as well, Gav. Like, unfortunately, how it's panned out, the RFU are missing their targets in sevens and in 15s on the women's side now. They didn't get to the Olympics. They had heartbreak, the, the women's team. I mean, the effort, and, and you can't question that. As well as on the World Series, like, they're not consistently top six, which is the, the stated goal as well there. So you're kind of almost spreading yourself a bit thin and, and you're not actually achieving either of those goals you've set out for yourself. And, like, I'm a big fan of Sevens. I love watching it. I really engage with it. But I don't think that's the case with most rugby fans even really in Ireland, and certainly not the wider public. Like, it hasn't been the... So far, it hasn't been the big attention grabber that Nusa Four and Anthony Eddy, who's the director of women's and Sevens rugby, that's his remit, that they envisaged. And And as we've mentioned, maybe it's not the smooth transition that they envisaged either so that's definitely something that needs to be part of the review i'm not saying rip it all up and, and start again but you definitely have to consider how that's working or as the results would suggest not quite working at the moment that's another part of it definitely
2: i mean a lot of talk um and criticism of the rfv committee and the gender imbalance um and i understand you know it's it's, it's very one-sided towards towards male but i i don't think I don't think that necessarily should be reason why um, the women's game isn't isn't performing. I mean, uh, you know, you can be male or female and actually care, male or female and care about it and uh, support it and put a plan in. So I, I, I think that obviously they want to get that gender higher, uh, but I don't think that's the reason. I think, you know, it, it, we have to find out what's what the committee are are being told is happening in women's game um and are they the ones blocking it or have they given the performance people the hired staff which again was we were told this is the way to go is that the hire the professional people people who know rugby and let them get on with it are they have they basically said this would work for us and it hasn't worked like i haven't seen anything i noticed the the the, the ail committee have found it hard to get a meeting with the RFU committee and that's not great but like for me it's not male or female on a committee it's actually well, what support is there? What what motivation is there to deliver um, you know, a vibrant game? And why isn't it happening? And it's not some people lose their jobs or anything like that. It's literally just working out what's happened, who's at fault, accept it, make
1: a better plan and move on. To connect the dots of this conversation and just look at what happened on the pitch. And I know Murray, yourself and Owen Toulon did so for members on Monday. So we don't necessarily need to get into the nitty gritty of that Scotland defeat. Uh, necessarily but there's been I guess a consensus formed or just a general suggestion is that Ireland vastly like grossly underperformed compared to the actual talent that they have and that they should be probably swatting away Scotland they should be beating Italy who they did beat and they should be beating Spain that this squad is probably the best squad in that uh, round robin for want of a better term are we potentially without meaning to be too harsh Overestimating the quality of some of these players because ultimately, like the results are the results. And the reason I ask that is because if they are indeed better than, than say the three teams that they played against on paper, then how did that actually happen? Like, it, it, I'm trying to pinpoint what is the actual issue. Like, I'm sure there are lots of things, but like, could you point towards the coaching and just say, like, listen, it wasn't up to scratch, or because it's easy to say, oh, the players didn't do their jobs, didn't do their jobs they've been training for months together like this isn't some ragtag uh you know bunch of people from around the country brought together to play games with no notice like this is a proper team that have been putting in the work so it just doesn't add up to me is what i'm saying in a very long-winded way
0: i think we're all guilty all of us of underestimating also the opposition in terms of them being at the same level as ireland you know spain have been progressing and from he deserve a spot at the top table six nations becoming seven nations or wherever that might be and scotland obviously been working away as well uh, under the limelight for us this is the reality of where ireland are and that's been the eye-opening thing about it like irish rugby is not better than spanish rugby and scottish rugby right now it's kind of hard to say whether irish rugby has declined drastically or just stood completely still while everyone else's progress and i'm kind of leaning towards the the latter part of that you know other unions are putting more resource into it there's more interest than ever the game is growing at an almighty rate quicker than men's rugby and Irish rugby just hasn't been able to harness that obviously the homework up in 2017 was a disastrous element of that that was supposed to be the kind of capturing of the imagination and and getting a massive flood of, of kind of home support And said it was it was just like left a sour taste didn't it it was just acrimonious and, and kind of just behind the scenes, things weren't right and, and there was no rebound from that. So, you know, Irish rugby hasn't been able to step forward and, and yeah, it's been eye-opening in that regard. I think we probably have, we had maybe, well, I certainly thought Ireland were favourites going into that competition but now I think, what did I base that on, you know? I probably didn't do enough homework um, and maybe that was a similar trap and, and then the shock of this Spanish game was really evident, wasn't it? You know, you could see it on the players' faces at the end of that and, it was hugely damaging for, for confidence and all the issues that happened in that game never went away and absolutely again coaching is part of that you know with your line out you would hope that two de- two games after a disaster like that in the Spanish one you'd have fixed or simplified it but it continued to cause them massive issues I think it was probably the biggest overall issue for me they continually lost line outs in the 22 when they had chances to pressure and, and, and put on scores um, and poor tactical decisions even at but Ireland were five points ahead when they took that quick tap penalty in the second half and and didn't convert. And you think, slot over three points there, give yourself a bit of breathing room strategically. Uh, and Scotland are probably beaten at that stage, but you, you gave them an in and, and and away they go. So yeah, there are absolutely loads. We could get into so much detail and nitty gritty, but I don't think the team, while maybe we underestimated the opposition, I don't think they went close to to their potential really. and And that's a familiar trend in in tournament rugby with Irish teams
1: So Birch like I mean it is a familiar trend unfortunately and the mind almost wanders back to 2007 and the Men's World Cup in a way where a team is uh, perceived to have underperformed to a huge degree do you think Ireland simply underperformed across the board and like why did that happen (laughs) I know that's a very difficult question to answer but again given the work they had put in given the preparation they had done or so we're told, um, on a strategic sort of level, on a coaching level, how does that actually happen across three games? Because, Murray, I think you're being a bit harsh in saying you didn't do your homework in uh, seeing Ireland as being favourites for that tournament because they do routinely beat Scotland and Italy, while well, they are they have improved, Ireland have beaten them very recently, so, okay, Spain were kind of the wild cards. We knew, like, we knew they were decent, but if you're beating Scotland and Italy, you should be beating Spain as well is the reality of it, and they, they failed to beat two of these teams, Birch.
2: Yeah, I think there was a drop off in in what we'd seen in the Six Nations. So I felt we were comfortable obviously against Wales, Scotland and we beat Italy even though Italy had a lot of a lot of chances we beat them quite com- quite comfortably on the score in the end. And then obviously, you know, I think the biggest issue was we were match shy, so we didn't get games under our belt. There was a false sense of where we were at. So um, you know, in in the high performance center when at training, you know, our our second fifteen obviously aren't as, as, as good as as our first fifteen, so potentially, you know, there wasn't that level of competition and training. Um we possibly underestimated Spain looking back at the selection, um and you know, some new caps, etc., which in you know, a World Cup qualifier is probably not the ideal time to, to blood them. Probably left some better players at home. And suddenly you lose to Spain and it just absolutely rocks. You know, I spoke about the difference between self belief and confidence. I felt I felt that um, that Spain def- defeat, as as things played out, it actually it rocked the 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 women's self belief and and I thought looking at them pre match they were very nervous, and I just don't think they could get enough in the tournament. Even beating Italy, didn't uh, calm down calm them down enough to be able to play without that performance anxiety. That I think that that performance anxiety played a part as well in that, you know, they made errors that are uncharacteristic. They that, that they wouldn't make normally when they're we're in a good mind space and, and match fit, etc. So I just think it was, you know, um, a domino effect. And it came from it came from that Spanish defeat um, where, you know, we were match, match fitness shy and, and a few selection errors. And we just couldn't recover, really.
0: Last thing before we move on, Gav, I just want to say, you know, it's such a sad way for Claire Malloy to go out at the end of her Ireland career. An unbelievably great Irish rugby player. Um, who had an unbelievably strong skill set, breakdown specialist, skillful on the ball, obviously massive work rate throughout her career. Probably would have wanted to be starting those games and have had more of an influence. You saw when she came off the bench, two jackal turnovers at the breakdown, one clean, one was a penalty, and she had a strip in the tackle as well and, and made an impact on the game. Um, A, a wonderful career, and it's a, obviously not a fitting way for her to go out, but you have to hope that there's going to be more players like that coming down the pipeline And that they will have I suppose some of the highs that she had With Irish rugby um, Because there were brilliant moments there It's a long time ago now at this stage unfortunately um, But the only way from where they are right now Is up, that's the reality of it
1: Yeah, 74 caps 3 World Cups 2 Six Nations titles 1 talented woman, we wish her well As she steps away Let's chat URC then lads um, Let's start with Connacht, were you in Cardiff, Bridge?
2: I was in Cardiff for, for Connacht. Cardiff, I think, um, I think Cardiff are going to be really good this year. Uh, I think that they, um, uh, they've got a nice squad. I think, obviously, um, bringing back Reese Priestland, even though he, he got injured, gives him a, a second 10, a great goal kicker. Apparently, he's, he's been unbelievably influential in, in pre-season. Dai Young is there now, so they've got some real strong leadership from the top. Um, you know, he's been brutally honest with them in terms of their consistency, their fitness level. So, They've worked really hard. They brought back in, they brought Matthew Screech in, um, a lock from the Dragons, who's experienced, big ball carrier, um, and runs a good line out. They probably lack that. They've obviously lost Corey Hill, but I think, I think they've got a squad. I mean, you know, big, like when the two teams lined up for the, uh for the minute silence, it was like a, a schoolboy team against another team in terms of size. Now you'd expect that when Connor played the Bulls or, or, or Leinster or, or the Sharks, but, um, you know, when, when, up against the Welsh region, who they've kind of beaten quite regularly over the last four or five years, and would fancy their chances of being on a level playing field. Um, yeah, I just I left the ground worried about Connor, to be honest. Uh, and it wasn't that Connor didn't work hard or didn't have opportunities; they did, but um, I just feel it's going to be an incredibly tough season for them, given how you know they haven't. Yeah, just how how susceptible are going to be to injuries in terms of depth, um, in terms of their budget, in terms of. Um, the fact that the qualification for the U, for the Champions Cup now is, is much more difficult, and we get even more difficult next year when the U, when the South African teams can qualify. So yeah, I, I think I, I really feel for Andy Friend because a lot of people judge Connaught on the same level as they judge Leinster, Munster, Ulster. But you have to understand that there's been a um, a deficit in terms of funding there for twenty years, and <laughs> over time that adds up, and uh, um, you, you can have a development re- province. Without calling them a development province, uh, if you just starve them of, of funding, and I think, you know, while they get they get enough to be to survive and, and be battlers, and last year they were brilliant. They you know they beat Ulster, Munster, and, and Leinster away from home, and I've no doubt that under day they can beat anybody. I just worry about week to week not being able to pick up points during international periods because there's less clashes. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I'd love to see them be supported, particularly now because. Because of how the Pro Fourteen has changed, like obviously they're in the European Cup this year, Champions Cup this year, so what funding they had historically was enough to do that, and and so the you can't I can't criticize the RFU for that because they've actually achieved, um, you know achieved probably the the maximum level that they could, and they're in the top the top day ta- at the top table. But I wonder, would it not have been smarter to actually give them a little bit more this year, given that the Con- the contest they're in is going to be more difficult
0: can i just ask you on that birch uh, you wrote about that in the Cindo, and i thought it was a really good piece L- like how much are you talking about and what way would that affect what andy friend is doing
2: well I, so they've been cut 10 percent, like all the other problems have right so um i would have said if they had a, not cut them 10 percent um so whatever that was what if they're playing i don't know what they're playing budget is, is it five and a half million if they were given that, if they were left with that five five hundred thousand, um, just take that. If they're left with five hundred thousand, I I felt that that would give them a, a better crack at actually being able to stabilise this year. So look at this year; they got to play in the European Champions Cup, right? That's going to be incredibly tough, right? And um, and then obviously they got to try and qualify again in a competition which, in theory, and we all hope will be more competitive in a with a structure that is going to be harder to it's not a straight top eight um anymore so um it's for me for me i would have loved just ten percent or like obviously more than that if you could but to say look at Connacht, you're building a new stadium you know that'll be ready in circuit three years right we want to have four irish provinces in um in the champions cup every year that's what we're about we want to have four teams at the top table and we don't care whether South Africans come in um or how it runs you know we're good enough to be better than the Welsh and Scots uh, and South Africans uh, outside of those top th- those four automatic qualification spots but we're going to back you on that and obviously when you get your new stadium there you know the ha- you have to basically eat what you kill in terms of your own ability to to drive revenue and to um create more more uh more revenue to build your budget So we're not promising you this forever it's effectively an agreement over over a three or five year period where you say look at we wor- we've worked out that over the last 15 20 years that we've you know we've given Munster Ulster and, and Leinster 5 6 million more um and we're going to back you for three years we back Andy friend we we, we believe in him his ability we back Willie his ability to 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 run a good ship um financially and you know because of your 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 success on the pitch in terms of also, Andy Friend is bringing through young Irish coaches like Mossy Lawler and, and Colin Tucker, which is credit to, to, to him. Their academy, you know, Mark Sexton's gone down there, you know, Eric Elwood's involved, etc., etc., etc. Nigel Carlin and Jimmy Duffy came came through that pathway. So it's not just from a player point of view, it's from a, a coaching point of view as well that they're they're doing good work and they're prudent. Like they don't spend money badly, you know, which you can't say about the other provinces. So I would have just liked to have seen um and again it's not a freebie. It's basically giving them more support and they commit to certain outcomes. But I just think with a new stadium and if they're in the Challenge Cup year on year, um, that's going to affect their ability to, to be profitable or to wipe their face or or to have the same deficits as everyone else long term. And it, it'll mean that we, we have three strong provinces and one a little bit weaker.
1: Do you share Birch's concerns about Connacht in the short term, Murray, based on what you saw in Cardiff?
0: Yeah, I do. I had a little bit of worry coming into the game, to be honest. Um, Even running through, we did a series of pieces about like depth charts for each province. And you kind of study the squad and where they're strong, where they're not. And there were a few bits of lack of depth where you just, just what Birch said, a couple of injuries. And that's been the team really over the last few years. They always seem to have an injury crisis and then they're just scrambling and they always do well to, to kind of survive it. But it, really is difficult to do that season on season and yeah that, that was my concern then watching the game i just felt they were just a little bit underpowered maybe and cardiff always had that extra gear i do agree they looked really sharp but i think conic gave them opportunities to to look sharp they didn't get a control on the game they didn't physically get dominant really in, in any aspect of it and i would have a concern around that area like the bulls coming on to tomorrow on friday That'll be a really interesting test. And maybe they'll bounce back and absolutely hammer the Bulls physically. I mean, we saw they could do it last season, that wrestling match stands out. But it's very hard to do that on a weekly basis when your squad is a little bit depleted or you don't have that depth and the ability to maybe make rotation changes and and, f- and bring fresh bodies in there that are also big and powerful. So, yeah, I do have a slight concern over them. You know, our season preview, we mentioned how that competitive um nature of the the new format is going to be potentially positive in, in ensuring that the, all the way through the season they have that real focus but it makes it even harder for them to to, to qualify into europe as well so yeah I just i just hope that they don't fall away from where they've been it, it's kind of been a case almost of standing still in, in the last couple of years and you know andy friend mentioned before the season about encapsulating some of the identity of 2016 and, and winning the, the title it would almost be an even bigger shock if, if they were able to do that this season. But you would hope that with their own kind of identity around playing, the, the speed and the adaptability that we mentioned, that they'll be able to to pick up some of those big wins and probably just be a bit more consistent with their performances as that's been the, the big issue. But slight concerns, it's very early days obviously and we really welcome to see them bounce back against the Bulls.
1: Yeah, it is incredibly early, Connacht against the Bulls on Friday night. What did you make of the Bulls, Birch and the South African injection generally speaking
2: i was very disappointed with them to be honest um uh considering that they've played a, a full curry cup campaign um you know both leinster and munster uh had a, had a very short preseason in terms of games um and they, they both blew them away to be honest i mean i know the sharks got an intercept in and in a late try but you know they had sorry look at the sharks first the sharks had loads of possession but really weren't stretching munster in in, in in any meaningful way. And then the Bulls, you know, the Bulls, that the Josh van der Fleer try uh, after six minutes. I mean, you know, how narrow they were in defence, how poor their scramble was, like, very, very, very poor. I mean, you know, if if Zebra or, um, or, or you know, or the, or the Kings did that, you know, we'd be just saying, oh, look, at the, they're just here to, um, to make up the numbers. And, and, um, yeah, I definitely think, you know, it's a huge game for them. I mean, they go to Connacht. The Bulls go to Connacht on Friday night. Um, they've been hammered by Treviso. Um, they've been well beaten by by Leinster, and you know to go. I know Treviso was last season, but it's back to back in in this competition as such. Um, to go to Connacht and, and and not get a win, um, would be a big blow to them. And, and the Bulls have enough quality, I think, to to be better than they were on 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 on, uh, on Saturday. So, um. Yeah, look, I I do think they'll they'll all get better, but um, they certainly didn't cover themselves in glory either of them um uh on on Saturday evening uh, against against Munster and Leinster.
1: They seem to be almost in awe of Leinster, not only on the pitch and maybe not even on the pitch, in fairness, but just in terms of some of the comments that came out of the Bulls afterwards, Murray, like waxing lyrical about Leinster's entire setup. It seemed a bit curious for an organisation of their own size to be so reverential towards another, you know, almost like, oh, we've so much to learn from these guys. And in reality, it seems as though they do, but that kind of caught me by surprise. I would have had them as sort of like being the same, maybe not size, but having the same stature in the game, if you know what I mean.
0: That's a Jake White masterclass, isn't it? He's setting the expectations low. He's saying, he's already gone to the budget stuff. He's talking about French clubs' budgets, actually, I think this week, uh, just to remind people that he's working with a, meager resources there. I'd look at their squad and I think they should be much better than they were. Um, and they definitely didn't have any sense of imposing themselves at all, which really surprised me. There were no aggressive tackles. There was no real dust-ups even. Their more got bullied by Leinster. Their line of defence, the Leinster line-out defence was really excellent and, and they dominated them in, in all aspects. On the flip side of it, I do think Leinster were really, really impressive. First game of the season, I thought they didn't show any signs of rust or not having had a, an extensive preseason schedule. They were impressive against Harlequins as well, as Stuart Lancaster pointed out this week in, in the first half in particular in their one preseason game. And they've started really sharply. I think even the ideas around their attack were fresh. Players look excited to be on the pitch and, and enacting some of those ideas they've been working on. Physically, they looked fit and sharp. The likes of Johnny Sexton rolling back the ears a little bit. So they're in a, a really positive place and they look refreshed and renewed a little bit. I know they've been consistently successful, but they haven't won the, the Champions Cup um, since 2018, and that's going to be a massive one for them this season. Obviously, taking nothing for granted in the URC. Hopefully, those South African sides will get more competitive. And then we saw, I think, promising-ish signs from Edinburgh and their performance even. Glasgow away to Ulster showed a, showed a bit as well. Hopefully, they can be more competitive. But for, for Leinster, it is being judged on that European Cup, so I think they'll be renewed and refreshed. Andrew Porter over to Loosehead is obviously a fascinating one, the most interesting selection of them all, and that just points to where they maybe came up short in those big European games against Saris and La Rochelle. They they kind of pinpointed the tight five power, and now they're going to have a, a front row with Porter, Kelleher, Furlong starting, Keane, Eli, Toa, and Dan Sheehan, who's a really explosive athlete, potentially coming off the bench. That's very exciting for them, so... Yeah, Bulls disappointed me definitely, but I thought Leinster were impressive to to start the season that way.
1: What stood out to you? Who stood out to you, Birch, uh, from Leinster's performance?
2: Look, I think Sexton. To be honest, uh, um, Sexton over the two games, Quins and uh, Bulls, it's just ridiculous how <laughs> fresh and uh, energized he is, and how influential he is. It's just the small things um, he does that puts other people into into space, and unless you rewatch it back the second time. You know, you just think it's just a catch pass, but um, his timing, his his ability to as I said fix defenders is, is phenomenal. His his range of kicking game, uh, so yeah, he's the the old the old veteran coming back looking sharp. And then I I, lo- I love Dan Sheen. Uh, I think Dan Sheen is going to be, um, a brilliant player. That was a big game for him to to get. You know, starting in the first game of the season in the Viva, and um, yeah, he just looks like he's he he's gone. Him and Keller are over the next. 10 years i think we are going to have ding dong battles and they're both they're both well king keller's everyone keller's proven to be you know top end um obviously went to south africa uh, with the lions but i think sheen sheen is going to be um a really interesting player to watch and i know some of my friends uh in south africa were texting me saying who's this dan sheen guy you know which um which is interesting because like you know they it's hard to impress some of them and uh they were, they were blown away by him uh, as well. So, look, they were all in great, Nick. Van der Fleer was, was class, but just those two for me um, probably stood out.
1: New academy manager at Leinster as well, Bernard, and in the past on this podcast, we've probably given out that there hasn't necessarily been a pathway or at least not an abundance of them for Irish coaches to progress their careers and a lot of them hit ceilings. But in Simon Brighton, you've got a guy who actually has been there for a number of years at Leinster and worked his way up through the ranks. So what do you know about him? What can Leinster fans expect from him as being as their academy manager?
2: Yeah, I know him, I know him pretty well. He, he coached with me in Tontarf um, back in 2010. Uh, backs coach by trade, uh, came to Ireland uh, to play. I think his first club was Dallas Al. He was a good player. He was um, a very good good player. Played AIL for Dallas Sal, um, then became a coach. What I remember of him uh, more than anything was his organisation skills. So he he was a project manager, uh, on the Viva rebuild. Um, so he was, you know, I'm not sure whether he was an engineering side or, or the the actual building side. But he was a project manager. So he very very organised. And and this job, um, this job is less about coaching, and it's more about managing. I think they've got 14 people reporting into you. Um and then obviously you have whatever players that are in the pathway from 18s up probably 60, 70 players that they that they keep uh, keep a close eye on so it's very much you're managing up in terms of managing the IRFU you're an IRFU staff so this is yeah so the the um this is an IRFU appointment but obviously your your day job is looking after Leinster so you're kind of split split loyalties or split reports from that point of view but yeah he knows that he was working he was actually. Sub academy manager, so um, he actually moved down to Donnybrook a couple of years ago and effectively he managed that crop who were um fighting to get the opportunity to go to the UCD, which is the, the main headquarters, and become senior academy players. So when you get senior academy, then you come under you know Stuart's watch pretty much uh, and Leo because you train them you know most days, but then the sub academy guys do their own skill sessions down in Donnybrook and they're they're in a rat race to try and get an academy contract. So Simon would have a um, a very good appreciation of the challenges of both, and um, yeah, it's, it's 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 an in-house appointment, and uh, he's a he's a very hard worker, very meticulous, and I think you know I think he'll he'll do a good job. I I think he'll probably he probably have a fair idea of what wasn't working well, you know, um, particularly from that split split facility, and I'll be interesting to to see how he um what changes he makes or or what changes um the loud make by there if
1: you both of you guys were down at Thomond park on saturday noticeably without me i'm not going to lie it hurt but sorry Gav. but we will move on um <laughs> COVID restrictions <laughs> yeah yeah if leinster were really impressive in their victory which they were it, monster's performance was probably a little bit more curious or it felt like people weren't necessarily overly impressed by it even though it was ultimately a bit of a hammering so what did you actually make of it, Murray, uh, upon reflection?
0: Yeah, it was a it was a cure take, wasn't it? I thought the last try, obviously, was the moment of the weekend across the whole competition of just a stunning score. And to see Snyman back offloading behind the back was wonderful. The handling skill under pressure, particularly Mike Haley's catch pass, was superb. And Goggin kind of nonchalantly rolling the ball in behind for Thomas Ahern to nearly steal it off Simon Zeebo, and he probably should have just gone and taken it, I thought. But that was a, a stunning moment, and there was some other really like high-level aspects of their play. Craig Casey was the standout individual, really exciting performance, definitely stepping up and really kind of guiding this team now. And then you look at other bits where, you know, they had more pressure for 10 minutes at one stage in the first half and they didn't hammer that home. There were a wide range of kind of missed opportunities to exploit space on the edge. Um, We kind of flagged a few of them in our members' newsletter this week. Um, which they'll be disappointed with they've created space on the edge and and it's something they're trying to develop in their game and absolutely it's a work in progress and certainly still very early days in the season and that kind of stuff will will sharpen up but that's been a theme I think in in recent seasons with them when they get to those crunch games and you literally get one maybe two opportunities on the edge you've got to be ultra clinical and they miss quite a few of them in, in this game so they'll be frustrated with that aspect of it as well but this was much more like for me a kind of first performance of the season lots there that was promising and really exciting and even the age profile of the squad and and guys like casey and coombs really kind of starting to take over as as peter manny said after is really positive but loads there for them to just get a bit more polished and a bit more clinical with as well
1: yeah it turned into a bit of a routine win bridge and as murray says there were glimpses that were exceptional that last try moment of the weekend possibly across the board in the urc but I guess at Munster, whereas we've seen Leinster so often put together what you'd call a complete performance in that nearly every aspect of their game is looking polished and they basically polish off the opposition, you're kind of waiting for Munster to produce one of those and then to actually produce them back-to-back because that victory to me felt like a similar enough victory to what we would have seen plenty of times last season. You see actually these, they scored some unbelievable tries last season, but you wouldn't necessarily say they're the most expressive team in the world either, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, and there did seem to be that intent to to play more. Um, uh, I was I was critical at the time of of them trying to play these little trick plays five yards out when it looked like they could just maul them over. But then driving home, I said, "Well, look at they practiced these all all, all preseason. Um, they want to, They want to express themselves. They want to try and get away from that that tight um, tight game. And also, um, even though it didn't work, I think it's going to put." next week's opposition in, in two minds about you know do they have to defend the blind side and they you are know, the open side and maybe it'll, it'll make it easier for them to score off them all so i can understand that there was there was certainly an intent there the only thing about Munster i would say is and and, and the tr- zebo second try was unbelievable skills and and they they are a skillful team as such but they're one of the few pro professional pro rugby teams i know that don't have a full-time skills coach um which is just interesting in terms of how they how they set up. I know there's a guy from the uh, – one of the – um, how would you say it? Pathway coaches, I think, comes in and does uh, little blocks. But, you know, it's, it's interesting that you're trying to evolve your game, and yet there doesn't seem to be that focus on on uh, having that individual skills coach full-time in the environment. Um, but, yeah, I could see that they wanted to play more, and it was good variety. And it'll just take a little, little, little while to, to settle. They overran some passes. Some of their passing on the edges wasn't good enough. Um, but I think they they do need to evolve and have have a plan B, a plan C. Um, which probably since Razzie came in, you know, um, they have been been pretty inflexible or pretty um set in their ways about how they could could play in opposition and and that, that that's gotten to semifinals, um. You would think given, you know, given probably the, the power deficit they're going to have against certain teams, they may need to have uh, certainly a second way of playing. And I thought you could see that that ambition to try and create that was certainly there. So, um, yeah, work in progress for sure. Um, Casey was, was, was class and, uh, you know, Zebo's Zeebo, going to score tries and, and Coombs is going to score tries. So they've suddenly got two players with firepower. Um which can make the difference in big games Simon back as well is going to be like a new a new signing for them so um, definitely positive
1: On the coaching side of things then Murray I guess all the speculation at the moment is about contracts Stephen Larkham came out during mm. the week and said he would like to extend his stay Van Gran a little bit more mysterious I mean he doesn't tend to speak much anywhere or, or actually omit uh, much information but um, what do you imagine is going to happen there across the board really?
0: It sounds like they the kind of wheels are in motion there with with the entire coaching staff and that those discussions have, begun and and are taking place and that definitely as as Larkham indicated there's an interest on their side in staying. For being honest, kind of coming in towards this season, you think Van Gran's into last year was contract. This might be the kind of natural conclusion of it anyway. But from Munster's point of view, a massive thing has been trying to get stability. It's a word that he used a lot internally because they haven't had that with their coaching staff. It's obviously been a really changeable element of of the organization and if you look at high performing organizations often a lot of them do have a a huge amount of stability kind of behind the scenes and in their coaching staff and it can take time to to build towards something that's the question mark i think that supporters will have like I, i know for a fact a lot of them will have that you know is this project going in the right direction and and our months are actually making progress the most recent evidence in a pro 14 final it was probably their most disappointing performance of all against against Leinster. Um, so there are those kind of question marks nagging away, but strategically and organisationally, it makes sense to kind of have that year-on-year development, even if it is incremental or tough for us to see at, at times on the outside. <clears throat> it sounds like Larkham has taken on a, a good bit more responsibility anyway around the game plan and is... I suppose de facto head coach with Johan as a director of rugby kind of role maybe there is space still as as Bernard mentioned for a skills coach because I know they were looking for one at one stage and spoke to a couple of people but nothing ever happened there and, and that would be a positive addition I think to the, to the coaching staff but it certainly sounds like things are moving in the direction of, of them at the moment staying there's obviously been links with, with Larkham returning back to Australia but maybe that little bit of media this week was just a nudge they needed to give him exactly that contract he wants
1: What's your impression of it, Bridge?
2: Yeah, I think um, I, I can see the value of stability uh, for sure. Uh, I, I don't think there should be any real rush to tie them down yet. It's it's, it's early days. It's September. Um, you know, I think the the biggest black mark for me last year was not winning the Rainbow Cup um, when it was absolutely opened up for them to, to win silverware, um, and obviously that home defeat to Connacht, um, you know, scuppered the chance of that, but. Yeah, I can see what the, I can see that there was value in, in having stability, um. But I'd I'd like I I think probably it'd be prudent to wait till November December really to see how it's shaping up with, with you know the change that's happened with with obviously Johan becoming more upstairs and and, and Larkin being head coach, um, and how how it evolves. I don't think there's any mad rush to there should be any mad rush to, to tie tie them all down yet.
1: Yeah, I I I completely understand that. Is there a bit of a push then on behalf of, say, Van Grand's agent, Larkham's agent? Like, how does that whole process work? Because I guess it's easy for Munster to say, let's see how we're getting on in the pool stages of Europe or whatever and see how this goes until winter. But the lads are getting a bit edgy then as you're moving towards the new year, I'm guessing.
2: Yeah, obviously, as a, as a coach, you want to know where you're going to be next year the year after. So you'll be getting on to your agent and saying, look, put, put the squeeze on. Um, but having said that, like it, it is quite early. Um, I don't think other clubs, maybe bar going back to Australia, no clubs in the Northern Hemisphere aren't going to be out there now chasing, chasing those coaches for for a contract in June. They're going to want to see how their own coaches are, are going and how things develop. So you know, December January is generally not considered too late to renegotiate and do a deal that's got six months left to to run. Um, that and that's that's how it works. If you're if you're absolutely smashing it, yeah, maybe clubs a year out go to you and say, look at um you know we want to tie you down or, or 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 in the same manner a club's come and say look we we're going to change culture. coach or coach is retiring in a year's time or he's moving on you know we want you to be part of it and obviously you can you can run things or you can oversee our recruitment etc um you know while 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 that time elapses but yeah i, I don't think they're not like it's not uh... okay they're very good coaches on on paper very impressive CVs Larkham's and and roundtree's and and, and johans um but also, like the the trophy cabinet is pretty bare as well, and I do I think Munster need to, you know, the first part of Munster getting better and winning trophies is actually demanding that that actually happens uh, regularly, um. So just happy being happy being semi finalists for me um isn't isn't where Munster should be, and I think it's important that they they set their stall out. They have done in terms of bringing in Delande and Snyman, you know, they did when they went and. And got joey carberry um uh they you know it was clear that they wanted to change the um the dynamic or the pecking order and I, I don't think you know agents of coaches will have often been told look we're not ready to make a decision yet you know particularly in the IRFU. when you're contracted uh, through the IRFU, i mean um it shouldn't it's not just the ceo of munster who, who has a say in this it's also david Nussifor. and and we know david Nussifor is a big fan of, of johan van graan so maybe that's maybe that's part of it i i, I think johan is, is a very solid and a very good guy very solid coach and a very good guy uh, so i'm not saying he has to go but i just don't think they need
1: to decide yet yeah it's fair enough never a dull moment with Munster, not too many dull moments either in ulster's victory over glasgow murray was it nine tries i think in the end uh so based on what we were saying of ulster in like our preview show how did they get on relative to that to your mind
0: <laughs> yeah it was a there was a bit of everything in there. It was wild stuff and it was it was quite Ulster, to be honest. Um, at times they were in position to kind of drive it home and have a comfortable last 20 minutes, but it certainly wasn't the case. Glasgow were kind of pounding their try line right at the end and, and they did show their resolve to hold on. As I mentioned earlier, I thought Glasgow showed signs of promise. Obviously, Nigel Carolyn is the attack coach there and would have enjoyed some of their stuff. They have some good young players. Um, Rory Darge, the, the back row was excellent. And Tui Pilato in the centre, a new signing, was really good. He's Scotland qualified excellent both sides of the ball. Ulster, yeah, they'll be frustrated that in what is a kind of team with them, they didn't make it a little bit more comfortable having been in a good good position. There was a lot of the kind of first-day jitters there and and hiccups around set-piece and stuff and timing being slightly off that they'll hope to iron out a bit. But again, loads of excitement there. Nathan Doak got 50 minutes after John Cooney's injury which is a concern. Obviously, he's had that scan this week and they'll hope for good news in that front. But Without obviously, you know, being blindingly good, Doak showed his promise and his ability to step up and have the head for that kind of occasion. And, and he's a really exciting talent with 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 Allison kind of ha- gifting him a bit of a try. um, he blocked down and offloaded to show his skill level as well. So, yeah, loads of promises. sign. Stuart McCluskey was excellent as always for, for them. And um, McCarney got off the, the bench, I thought. So. Yeah, there was there was bits and pieces there that were really pleasing for Ulster, but they've got to get better at that control of games. You know, when they've got the momentum, shutting the game down if that's the the right thing to do, or 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 vice versa if they're if they're trying to get back into it, having that ability to lift tempo as we know they can. So definitely um, a, a real first day performance from them.
1: Yeah, not too dissimilar to Munster's performance, I suppose. Birch and Dan McFarland will be happy enough with that in the sense that you get the win. Look. Good in spells, like vast spells, but then still have plenty to talk about on Monday, where you need to improve for the weekend afterwards.
2: Yeah, they were tested, and that's the 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 um, the thing that Leinster and Munster haven't been yet. The, so I think from one hundred percent agree with you. Dan would be happy they they got the ideal results. Um, they got a chance to have to fight for every inch as Dan says at the end to defend their line, but yet put put together some some really good rugby and some some necessary fixes. That's gonna. And exposed you know where they're at defensively uh, which is fine I mean you know they Jared Payne is a very good defense defense coach but at least they got tested broken and now there's an opportunity this week to, to fix that and they should be a better team um for us and that's that's exactly what you want in this league you want matches that you are testing you learning and, and um, also manage to, to win and learn which is which is ideal
1: Murray, what did you make so of the opening weekend overall as a as a package of entertainment, a new look competition with this infusion of new South African franchises? I kind of got the impression from Twitter, which maybe isn't the best sounding board at times, but that there was a little bit of excitement about it, or there was, you know, probably more enthusiasm about it than we've seen in, say, the opening round of Pro Fourteens and Twelves past. Did you get that same impression? Were you happy enough with it? totally got the same
0: impression absolutely and there's a nice run of of five rounds of this to open it up and interest levels are high i'm certainly engaged with it and um yeah i mean the new additions weren't particularly strong at all the lions obviously had some exciting rugby on on the friday night against zebra against some really bad defense but the other three teams certainly have improvements to make i think there's little signs there we know the bulls are definitely better than that the sharks even I'm not sure the scoreline was completely reflective of the, the gulf between them. Um, they'll have learned a huge amount from it, and, and some pretty young players in, in their squad. And the Stormers-Benetton match, I really enjoyed watching that and, and it'll be fascinating to see how they go now against against Munster, a, a kind of step up. And, and Benetton, we know, are, are a good, solid team these days as well. So, yeah, all in all, I, I have to say I really enjoyed it. I thought the quality was really good, really exciting rugby um, and definitely a step in the right direction for me. So hopefully it can kind of grow and grow each weekend as we go.
1: What was the chatter like in coaching land, Brech? Was there a bit of a buzz or a bit more of a buzz even than seasons past or much of the same?
2: Yeah, no, I think people are excited. Look, the four new teams have uh, like Leinster actually really, really rated the, the Bulls and, and were very worried about about the challenge that um, they presented and that's that's a good thing. You know, you want to basically come in on a Monday morning and, and have that Little bit of an edge. No, you have to be on point, point. Um, and I think that team, these teams will give us that for for different reasons. The Lions, maybe because of their stage development, can be will be a little bit more kamikaze uh, from attacking point of view. But that presents a challenge. We you know we we believe the Bulls and the Sharks, you know when they get their front liners back, will will have that real power game, and you know the Stormers, you know have a lot of young players. There's a bit of shit off the field there. That they probably need to get uh, sorted out before we see improved performances on the field. But definitely coaching land. Everyone's excited about um, about the new laws and the and you know how how they will affect things. Um, and you know the pressure. The pressure's on to get points. I mean, if Connors were to lose Friday, haven't been the only Irish problems. Just not to refer back to them, because they lost last weekend to lose at home, you know suddenly you'd imagine the other three provinces will win. Suddenly, then in terms of the, that that interprovincial uh, pool. You know they're they're behind the uh behind the, the the eight ball a little bit, so you can't really just slowly, you know, find your way in the season. You need to hit the ground running in this first block of five. So, I think that's a great way of you know getting fellas you know, on the edge of their seats and and having that you know those butterflies in in, in their in their tummies.
0: The best thing of all, Gav, the fans are back. <laughs> the fans are rugby. It was. I had goosebumps just at the start in, in Tomham Park because it was just so wonderful to hear it again, to see people there enjoying themselves. Birch was inundated with selfie requests. It was just, it was a wonderful occasion. And like the rugby is so much better when there's people roaring and chanting and booing and screaming for Simon Zebo literally relentlessly in Tomham Park. So that was the best part of all, really.
1: Yeah, yeah. Screaming for Zebo, screaming for Birch. A wonderful day, a wonderful occasion for all involved.
2: <laughs> they literally worrying them, yeah. <laughs> about me anyway. I can see the I can see the traction in Zeebs.
1: <laughs> Boys, I'll let you go. Thanks go. a million as always. Thank you, Bert. Thank
2: you, Bert. Yeah, just actually my week continues in, in, in good I'm actually going to watch the Sharks train now. They train down St. Michael's, so um nice. I'm gonna go and get a close up of them and, and see what they're at now. You're living the dream, Bert. I you am living the gonna dream. Stop. It's, gonna stop. it's gonna stop tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Where can
1: we see you we over see the weekend, Birch, actually weekend,
2: on T right V. Um I'm on Connaught against um Sorry, yeah, McCulloch Bulls, Friday Night for Premier and Dragons Leinster from Newport, Sunday for Premier.
1: Super. What about yourself, Murray?
0: I'm back in Thoman Park, so can't wait for it Yeah, It's going to be a cracker.
1: Taking up residency in Tollman Love it. You'll be back as well with Owen Toulon on Monday for the 42 members. It's membersthe 42eu if you want to get Rugby Weekly Extra with the two lads. Uh, an uber analytical podcast looking back on the weekend's action. And we'll be back then again in this regular slot next Thursday. So until either Monday or Thursday, mind yourselves, enjoy all of the rugby over the weekend and take it easy. No, don't worry, don't
0: worry.
2: you